Hello and welcome to another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier, joined as always by Doug Hay, and we've got a little bit of a different episode today. Yeah, I'm really excited for, for this one and the, the next few to come. Yeah, we've got actually the next few weeks, really two weeks I think, of episodes are going to be a little bit different uh, in that we are going to be replaying some clips from the No Meat Athlete Academy, some of our favorite episodes. Uh, and that is sort of in in celebration of the Academy turning a year old, which just happened last month. I believe our first founding members uh, renewed their memberships. And uh, we've we've been a year and we've we've learned a lot in that year. We have. It's been a really fun experience for for both of us, I think, and having to having had the opportunity to talk with some really cool people with neat ideas and then have the founding members uh, kind of be a part of shaping how the first year turned out and where the academy goes from here. Yeah, so I guess we've learned a lot in in two ways. We've first of all from the guests themselves. I mean, that's we've just been listening to a bunch of them today and uh I am totally re-inspired again listening to several of these these seminars that we did. <laughs> uh, but also we've learned about about how to how to make it better and kind of what has worked and what hasn't worked. And uh, we've got big plans for for a relaunch, uh, so to speak. I mean, it, it's we're making it easier to join than ever before, more accessible um, in terms of you know the pricing and things like that, which we'll we'll get into uh, in another episode. Not yet. So what the academy is for those who don't know, because we really haven't advertise it all that much up to this point it's kind of been uh, a big year-long experiment that we haven't really promoted too much outside of our initial founding member group um it's it's our exclusive or premium program for becoming the best version of yourself and uh we didn't we intentionally didn't pigeonhole it into food and fitness because i know those are the two things that that i think of when i think of no meat athlete but we wanted it to be much more so we, we gave it that umbrella definition best version of yourself and uh, included in there things like motivation, habit change, the mental game, the fulfillment side of things, and then what you would expect, the mechanics of, of healthy eating, practical, affordable eating, um, training for marathons and shorter distances, creating more time. All these things, are we, we've done seminars about just about every one of these topics. And uh, when I say seminar, what I mean is, is like you know an, an hour-long in-depth thing, usually with a guest, but sometimes just me, where the point is really to learn something and uh, motivate the listener to actually take action. So significantly more in-depth than, than a typical podcast episode, not the, the we've been accused of being like a, like a frat house style <laughs> on, this, on this podcast. We don't have too much of that inside the academy. It's a little bit more serious, but uh, also tremendously inspiring, some of these seminars. And then we do a Q&A with the guests as well, so that after each one, there's a chance for, the, for members to ask follow-up questions and, and get answers from the guest, uh, him or herself. Yeah, yeah. When when you first approached me with this idea of the of the Nomi Athlete Academy to see kind of what I thought about it, um, we had just done this survey with readers to kind of ask for frustrations and, and things, and we had a list of of what people were frustrated with and where they were really struggling. But we also said, what what do we want to focus on for ourselves? You know, what what if we want to become the best versions of ourselves? What kind of topics would we want to cover, and and who would we want to talk to? And that's kind of where we focused is combining our own desires and our own frustrations and, 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 you know, things that we're struggling with struggles, uh, with what the readers and, and listeners are struggling with and how we can really 
make as a community come together and make the best versions of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's that's what we're going to be doing in the next few episodes is sharing some of our favorites. Uh, we've got a couple this week. We've got two with Ritual next week. Actually, I did uh, an interview with Ritual a few weeks ago for the Academy. We're going to be sharing that, I think, in two different parts. Not the entire thing, but but a good amount of it because uh, it was a really great interview, and I want to share that stuff here. So that's the plan. Uh, if you are interested, we'll, we'll give you reminders and things as we get closer to the, the actual reopening, so to speak, of the Academy. But if you want to just make sure you stay updated by email, uh, you can go to nomadathlete.com slash info, enter your email there, and you will get email about this one topic only. We won't use it for anything else, obviously. Uh, but we'll we'll send you updates as the Academy, uh, the relaunch progresses. So with that, let's get to our first one. And this is one of my very favorites. It's with Michael Arnstein, who uh, many know as the Fruitarian, who uh, a pretty amazing guy. I mean, his, his ultra-running resume kind of speaks for itself, right? That's right. He was uh, one of the few people to have gone... Under, under thirteen, under thirteen hours, and and for a hundred miles, which is incredible. Yeah, it's like a seven forty five pace, I believe, per mile uh, maintained for a hundred of them, which is just insane. He's run a two twenty eight New York City marathon, uh, won the Vermont hundred, won the Javelina hundred, and more recently won a hundred too. Right? Didn't you say he, he did? Won? Yeah, he won uh, the Hurt one hundred in in, yeah. in Hawaii as part of his comeback. Because I saw him last summer, and he he had sort of retired from ultra running at least competitively, and then not. Uh, who knows, four months after that, he, he went out and won another 100. Uh, so amazing guy. He eats this fruitarian diet. He's he's extremely passionate. And that's what I like about the interview is just that enthusiasm for a diet that, I mean, you know, let's say it is, seems pretty extreme when you think of it. It's, it's raw fruits and vegetables, mostly, almost nothing else, not really even nuts and seeds. People know it as 80-10-10, which means 80% of your calories come from carbohydrate, 10% from protein, and 10% from fat. Um yeah, I don't know. If you look at a typical vegan diet, typical healthy athlete vegan diet, you're probably looking at more like 65% carbohydrate, maybe 13 to 15% protein, and then the rest fat. So um, certainly higher carbohydrate, and that happens when you eat as much fruit as Mike does. Uh, but anyway, it works for him. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. It's a diet that's that's interested me for a while that I even tried last year and, and really did enjoy my time on it. Uh, but man, his, his enthusiasm for it is infectious. And just listening to this today, trying to pick out which part to, to share here made me, I guess, cause the weather getting warmer too, made me think like, <laughs> ah, I got to get back on that fruitarian diet. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's, that wasn't the point of the episode. It wasn't about how do you become fruitarian and why should you? Uh, cause not everyone will agree that you should. It was about workout nutrition and doing it in a natural way. How do you eat before, during, and after your workouts in the most natural way possible? Because my idea was, and this turned out to be correct, uh, eating for workouts in a natural way basically is how fruitarians eat all the time. So uh, I figured that, that who better than Mike Arnstein to tell us how, how he eats before, during, and after his workouts uh, so that we can, we can copy that without, even if you have no desire to fully adopt a fruitarian diet, you can, you can you know, learn you know, specifically what fruits and things are going to be best around workouts. So that was the point of this one. Uh, we go into that and much more. And anything else to say about it? I don't think so. Let's get to it. Okay. I just kind of, you know, was on the, the high, high uh, carbohydrate, vegan diet um, for many years. And, it, you know, it, it worked well, you know, and I started running faster. I was able to get below 245 in the marathon, which 
um, was a big accomplishment. It was kind of like the fastest I could ever run was there was 245. And, and when I started training harder and I lost a little bit of body weight, I went down to like 243. Uh, and I was pretty happy with that. But the, the idea was still in my mind. It was like, you know what? I'm still not at that top end speed. And I know it's because I can't lose this last 10 pounds. I got to get super, super lean. Uh, and then what happened was I read this book about the raw food diet, uh, mostly fruits and vegetables, low fat raw food diet. It was Dr. Graham's 80, 10, 10 book. And it was super, super simple. He's like, for lunch, have two cantaloupes, you know, and for breakfast, eat an entire watermelon or, you know, have 16 bananas for dinner and then have a salad. And I thought this was freaking nuts. This, (laughs) that's just crazy. You know, it's like, the recipe section in the book was like a joke. I was actually laughing reading this stuff. And uh, I was like, you know what? I've tried everything. I'll just try this. And it, it, that's it. That's all it was. It was like super, super simple. Eat food as it's grown in nature. That's high water content, mostly fruit. That's naturally low fat. And and like that's it. And everything else is history. Like I just became a super, super athlete after that. I overnight became lost the 10 pounds that I always wanted to get rid of. And I started performing like incredibly, incredibly well. And, hmm. uh, every, and there, after that, it's just, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, just a lot of training, but the diet was like absolutely the thing that, that, that made everything happen. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's interesting yeah. that the focus on weight, like I, I noticed when I went vegetarian for the first time, um, even three years before thinking about being vegan, um, I lost a bunch of weight and qualified for the Boston marathon and a bunch of weight for me was five or seven pounds, but that made a big difference. And that wasn't really the goal. I just, you know, I kept wanting to train and get faster, but I didn't really think about losing weight and what an advantage that would be over the course of 26.2 or more miles. Um, just to give people some perspective here, I've heard you mention your racing weight in your, one of your ultra running talks, which are from the Woodstock fruit festival, which we have not yet mentioned that you're the, I guess the founder or the creator, I don't know what exactly the title of is, but, um, Great festival, you, you know, you go for a week, and this year it's actually two weeks, and I will be speaking at it uh, and just hanging out there for a week. But uh, you give these ultra-running talks, and you mentioned that your weight was, I, th- I think your racing weight, you said is 117 or 119 or something like that? Yeah, when I was, when I was running uh, 245 in the marathon consistently, could never run faster than that, uh, which is about, you know, 620 per mile. I was uh, about 130 133 pounds, 130 to 133 pounds. Um, when I went fruitarian and with training hard, I would go down where like real, like racing weight training. Well, I'd be down to about 118 to 120. Okay. So, and, and it's just, it's, it's like, you know, it's 10 pounds, but it's, which is not, you know, it's a lot of weight, but it's like, it's like I lost a hundred pounds. It is just another world. Like the sure. legs just move so fast and it's your you cool you don't you're never you don't get overheated you can deal with the anytime i would have the races i would destroy everybody because when you don't have a, a layer of fat over you you just your body doesn't need to cool um as much and the blood can stay focused in delivering oxygen to your muscles instead of constantly pulling around your skin to get rid of all the excess heat they can't escape because of the, the fat so most people think they got to work out really, really hard. They got to train hard outside. They got to do extra miles. They got to do, you know, when stuff in the gym. And it's like, whoa, everybody's missing the point. You got to train hard in the kitchen. You got to work hard out just as hard, if not harder, in the kitchen choices than as you do in your physical run training or bike training or whatever kind of athletic stuff you're in. Uh, 
and it's like until I absolutely accepted that was such a huge critical factor in performance, I was always at that roadblock of 245. I could never get better. I plateaued. And if there was ever an improvement in a race, it was because of another variable, like the weather was better or it was a downhill or it wasn't as hilly or something like that. Um, so it's body fat. If you look at the Olympic level, the people that set world records at any sport, even in ping pong, <laughs> these guys are low body fat. Fat is stored energy. That's the only thing it does for you. And if you got to do any with speed, agility, or reaction time, fat is just going to put the brakes on you. And, uh, you know, it's even the women at the Olympic level have like almost no body fat in most sports. And, and so maybe you don't want to be the best in the world and maybe you're okay being a little bit overweight, but the, but, but just talking about performance, if you're carrying around extra body fat, you're not going to be as fast or you know, is, is, is injury free as you could be as if you had lower body fat. Yeah. And so, and so like when people talk about burning fat for fuel, the, you know, I, I've heard sort of this argument of like, well, if you don't have any fat, then how are you going to burn fat for fuel? But what a lot of people don't quite understand is that there's, you know, even when you're storing just a very, very small amount of fat in terms of, of calories and how much you have there to burn, how much energy you have, a tiny amount of fat is, is just a ton of energy, right? I mean, enough to get through a hundred mile run or much longer, right? Yeah, of course. And, and, and you know, I eat a very well-fat diet. I still have body fat. My body, my body is amazing. It'll convert watermelon fruit sugars into fat when it needs to, but it just, it won't store more than it needs. And that's why I maintain a very low body fat, just eating raw fruits and vegetables. Um, and it's you know, the, the idea that you could, there's no such thing as being under fat. No, that's just impossible. There's, there's, there's no, there's no classification in like, health literature for being too lean, right, right. <laughs> you know, just, yep. or, or being under protein. Yep. You know? uh, yeah. It's just nonsense. It's all marketing nonsense. All right. So I do want to get into more of the basics of the fruitarian diet, because I think, I think some people here are going to be very intrigued by that. But like I said, I think the big overlap between a fruitarian diet and just a, a plant-based diet that wants to eat naturally around their workouts, uh, that's, that's a, almost a hundred percent overlap. So, um, let's just get through. Let's talk about each one: pre-workout, during workout, and post-workout. Uh, talking about what you do, and and then kind of what 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 you're kind of going for, like what what concepts are we shooting for with each one? Um, whether it's whether it's a lot of protein in one meal versus another, um, or just just you know how, like if it's carbs per hour or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, and then what maybe people can do as kind of a first step if they're you know still in the phase of drinking Gatorade or Powerade or, or whatever, or just 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 to start to make it more natural in a way that's going to be effective. So, starting with pre-workout, what uh, what do you do before workout, and what what are you going like? What's the guideline that you're kind of shooting for there? Well, when I when I lived in New York, um, I lived in New York for 16 years, and my, my main workout when I really got serious about running was I would I would run to work every day, and that was uh, 15 and a half miles. Mm -hmm. um, so in the morning, I would get up, and I'd usually uh, you know, I, I just want to drink uh, calories. So I I either I'd usually juice um, oranges, make two big glasses of fresh orange juice, uh, and that that would kind of give me get me going, and I'd get out the door, and I probably wouldn't start eating until after uh, my workout. Sometimes I'd take a bunch of uh, medjool dates um, and throw them on my backpack or some bananas or something like that, and I just you know I run I wasn't running at a high high intensity when I run to work. Um, 
So I, it's my pre-workout would just be probably like maybe four maximum 500 calories of, um, of some high water content fruit or just some juiced oranges. Um, and then as I'm running, you know, I, in New York, they got these bodegas everywhere on the way to work. So if I, if I felt a little low on blood sugar, just wasn't having enough energy, maybe stop and buy some bananas or something like that. Um, and then for a drink, I just always do water, uh, you know, when I'm on the go. Um, and, and then after my workout, when I get to work, the rest of the day, I just graze. I wouldn't eat meals. So whatever was in season, if, if, if it was in the wintertime, there's a lot of citrus um, or uh, I'd love to have uh, persimmons. Anything that was available that was really high quality would just be what I'd be eating all day. And sometimes um, it would just be one type of fruit and nothing else. Uh, like uh, when Honeycrisp apples come in the season and they're available, they're amazing. And, I, you know, I just I'd go to work some days. I'd just eat Honeycrisp apples all day. Maybe I'd have 20 of them. Maybe, I'd have, you know, and maybe if I was eating watermelon, I'd have two big watermelons. I eat two watermelons over the course of the entire day. And that would be super simple. I'd have it near my desk um, and just just graze as animals do in nature. Um, and then uh, a lot of times I'd run home um, and then I'd run another 15 miles home and then I'd have um, massive, massive salad and just a lot more fruit. But there's no really, you know, big, complicated way than how I ate. It was I didn't count calories ever. And I just ate as much as I wanted, which was a tremendous amount which I enjoyed eating because these things taste delicious. Um, and until I was full and it, and when I first started eating this way, I ate like an obscene amount of fruit. It was like ugh, unimaginable. And it was, it was just because my body was going through a transitional stage because when you eat cooked foods, even just simple cooked carbohydrates like potatoes or rice, it creates its sedative effect when you eat these things. And it's because, and I believe it's because these these foods take a longer, a lot longer for your body to break down. Your stomach's creating a lot of acids uh, to to digest these foods, and I think that energy process naturally makes you feel a little bit more tired or just like you want to sit down and rest. And this is sedative effect. And when you eat fruit like bananas or oranges or persimmons, these things digest like in seconds. Like by the time you drink like a glass of orange juice, like within five minutes, like all of it is within you and assimilated into your body. There's no digestion. So you feel light all the time, which is great, but it doesn't give you that like full feeling. And it took time to adjust to that. And I kept eating and eating and eating to try to like get to that full feeling. And you never really get there, but you always have energy. So it's, it's kind of a, it's almost like an, emotional and a mental state of adjustment when you start eating this way. Um, but I, I, I'm after six months, I was completely adjusted and now I don't eat too much. I eat a lot less than I used to eat and I still can exercise just as much as I did when I was eating a lot. So I'd read the book 80, 10, 10. I think it's, it's the best book on the market about how to, how to kind of eat this diet, but it's super, super simple. It's like you go to the produce section and whatever looks good, buy a lot of it. Just eat it. Right. Just eat it. That's it. Right. You know. Yeah. So Don't make it complicated. I'm I'm curious. I mean, this is this is what what you do, and that's going to be different, obviously, than what someone else. I mean, anyone else who's running 30 miles in the course of a day, like a typical work day, 15 miles to work, 15 miles home. Um, you know, someone who's first of all, someone who's who's new at running isn't going to be doing that, of course. But yeah. um, but you don't just start out 
as a runner as not needing to eat during a run that's taking you an hour or two hours. I mean, I mean, if if you're you know maybe an hour, but getting up to two hours, people start to want to consume something, whether it's sports drink or fruit juice or something else. Um, but just to get it clear, so that that's pretty much what you do during yeah, a workout. Let me, is, let, me clar- let me clarify. You're right. I mean, go I, I got to remember the audience members that probably aren't running, you know, 50 kilometers a day, and and I, you know, <laughs> to to run to run 100 miles at 7:45 pace, you know, you, you you know, I guess that's what you got to do. But I don't, I don't even know if that's healthy long term. So you know, right. just a lot of a lot of these crazy things I did was kind of to see how far I could go just eating a fruit diet and see see where it would fail me. But I don't recommend that for everybody. Um, I think, you know, there's moderation. Oh, I've got a very good friend of mine. He eats pretty much nothing but fruit until four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And then he eats kind of whatever he wants, but usually it's, you know, more of like a, you know, what, what most people consider more of a simple, healthy diet. He'll have a piece of fish with some potatoes or rice for dinner, but he, he, he does it in moderation. So he tries to eat a lot more fruit as a meal. Um, and, and he's slowly moving toward moving way Toward, more towards a fruit-based diet, which I think is, you know, you get 90% of the benefit, but you still get, you're still not like, a, you know, a weirdo or something like that, like some <laughs> right. people guy I am. Um, and in terms of, in terms of exercising and needing fuel on the go, I've been all very open about it. During like some of my crazy, you know, long distance runs or, or races, I take the gels. You know, I'm not, you know, the fruitarianism is, is a huge part of my life, but I'm not like on a purist where it's got to be organic. It's got to be local. It's got to be perfectly ripe. It's got to be, you know, f- you know, sourced, you know, from like, you know, fair trade. <laughs> I'm into the performance factor mm-hmm. and also the convenience factor. Sometimes if I'm out running for a really long time and I'm not going to be able to get ripe bananas or dates or, you know, great oranges, I'm going to have, you know, water from the tap that's got chlorine in it. And I'm going to have some gels. It's not ideal, but it's still damn good that stuff works really well too uh so you know it's important that if you try to get into diet you don't get too obsessive about it because that that that's just gonna you know drag down other ways too so um i'm a big fan of sports gels uh in in races because when when you're running 100 miles when i would uh i did run a couple 100 mile races where i just ate medjool dates um and, and, and that was pretty much it, maybe some bananas and some other fruit. And I did perform pretty well. I, I think I ran the Vermont 100 in like 17 hours and 12 minutes one year, and I ate almost nothing but medjool dates. Right. Um, so I performed, I performed pretty well. But I think I stopped to go to the bathroom probably like 18, 18 times. <laughs> right. So, you know, the, the fiber in fruit uh, and running 100 miles as fast as you can isn't necessarily a, a, a good mix combo for performance. So uh, sure. the, the the gels, you know, with no fiber are um, a little bit better option than super long stuff. Gotcha. Okay, so just to kind of sum up here, um, what we've said so far, pre-workout for you, and I imagine this goes for most people um, who are doing a tough – like if you're just doing a, a 20 or 30-minute run or especially an easy run – you may not need any fuel at all to to start that run. I think a lot of people do make the mistake of taking in more calories than they need. Um, but would you say you know the two cla- two glasses of of fruit juice or a couple dates like is that a a typical pre workout meal that you would recommend to someone who's who's whether they're elite or or just just beginning? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know most of the time you you know if you're going out for a thirty or forty five minute run and you're not doing something really high intensity. I, 
you know, as long as you ate something, you know, something nourishing or some, you know, good fruit meal, in my opinion, uh, within an, within the last hour, you're going to be okay. You know, maybe I'll throw in a banana or, uh, or just, you know, peel an orange real fast. Um, and that, and that's, that's, uh, that's, that's great nutrition. It's great hydration. What's so wonderful about fruit is the water. And that's such an enormous, enormous thing that people miss out on is there, most people are generally dehydrated. They don't go to the bathroom enough and fruit is eating water. And, uh, it, it, most people just won't drink water because it's just, it's not as attractive as food. Um, and when you, when you eat water in fruit, you end up just getting a lot more water in your, in your, in your circulatory system, which makes you feel and perform so much better. Um, which is, it's, it's, you know, forced hydration, which is a huge, huge benefit and key to, to why I think I did so well, um, eating fruitarian diet. Right, right, and that's something that's missing from some of the raw diets. When you when you do focus on the nuts and the dehydrated foods, um, you, you lose out on that benefit, of course. Yeah, even even a baked potato. Uh, you know, if you weigh a potato before you be, on a, on a, on a gram scale before you bake it, and then and then weigh it afterwards, it weighs a lot less. The water's been taken out of the food. Um, even, even things like rice and pasta, these things are dehydrating. They take they suck the water out of your bloodstream in order to digest them. Um, cause your body can't digest food that isn't at a high water content level. And most people never drink enough because water is kind of boring. Um, <laughs> that's what's so great about fruit, high water content fruit. You don't need to supplement anything with fruit. When you eat pasta or oatmeal or potatoes, you need to supplement with water. And same thing with even raisins. You think raisins is a health food, but Raisins isn't a whole foods. You could live on grapes for months with nothing else. But if you ate raisins and nothing else for a few days, you'd die mm-hmm. because you, you'd be dehydrated. Gotcha. And the water is water is the key to like health and nutrition. And that's why I love high water content fruits, which are naturally low fat. All right. Are you back into fruitarian, Doug? I I am back and I am stoked on fruitarian. You're doing it, okay? No questions asked. No questions. That was awesome. <laughs> All right, so uh, that interview, I think we just I don't know our, what our exact length of our clip was, but I think it was somewhere around 20 minutes or so. That entire interview actually is uh, an hour and four minutes, and then we've got the follow up Q and A session that we did with Mike as well, which was really fun. He started telling some stories about people planting fruit trees along the highway. Remember that? Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, was cool. Yeah. Um, but. Anyway, we hit on a bunch more topics during that hour and four minutes than what you heard. Um, but I guess you could contrast that with the one we're going to play next, uh, which is – it's interesting. I mean it's a very similar diet that Sid Garza Hillman, author of Approaching the Natural, um, recent podcast guest ago, so it was probably, I don't know, maybe six months ago, uh, maybe not even that long. But his approach – you know, he he's, eats in a similar way to Mike Garnstein, just kind of without the uh, – level of restrictiveness. I mean, he still eats, he would tell you that he eats a ton of raw fruits and vegetables and also happens to eat some nuts and seeds. I think like Mike, he does not eat oil, but just you'll get the feel for his approach that it's much more, I mean, he works with clients who are, whereas Mike Arnstein, he's he's out there for himself to win 100 milers. That's what he's doing. Sid Garza Hillman is a nutritionist at the Stanford Inn and he has people come to him where he says the first step that he gives them is to start drinking a glass of water each day. Like they're, like they're that... Uh, in such bad shape that this is where they need to begin because they they can't just handle taking on anything else. So a much more moderate approach, um, hopefully ultimately getting to somewhere that's not all that different from Mike's approach, 
uh, still going to have have more, like Sid says, what you do most of the time is what counts. So still many more times where you're doing something that is outside of what might be the ideal diet. Um, anyway, though, Sid's, Sid's great. This is one of the favorite episodes of uh, members. It was actually our very first one. And uh, as you'll see, we go into things that, that he's great about habit change. He calls himself the small steps advocate, uh, but also a lot of practical diet tips. So let's go ahead and play this one. Sid, what is, what is your version of an ideal diet, the diet that you are moving your clients toward? And that we've mentioned the name of your book is Approaching the Natural understanding that it's a process of moving towards something approaching something uh even if you never actually hit it if your life is a constant you know and never-ending journey towards some ideal to me that's that's great that's growth all the time and that's what keeps you happy what is that ideal that you're moving towards the way that our bodies are designed i mean the way that all aspects of our physical being function best on whole plants there's just, there's just, I, I've read so much and people go, well, yeah, but we've been eating meat and yeah, but we've been, yeah, of course, the question isn't what we can do because we can digest Twinkies, you know, we can digest crunch berries, thank God. But what, but, but the fact of the matter is what do we optimally work on? What do we function best with? We function best on plants that are not processed not morphed, not changed. That includes cooking. Am I a raw foodist? No. Are raw foodists healthy? Not always because raw foodist means a whole bunch of different things. A lot of people in the raw food realm are eating a ton of nuts and seeds beyond what we'd ever eat in, in the wild, and they're suffering for it. I don't care if they're raw or not. Um, mostly fruits and vegetables, things that are full of water. We forget that in the modern world, we dry everything. Even the nuts that we eat, even though they're raw, they're still dried. They're without water. Well, the water content of food plays, for me, a bigger role than whether it's raw or cooked. Um, so, you know, people go, are you raw foodist? I'm like, well, I eat a ton of watery fruits and vegetables. I work with my clients to include watery fruits and vegetables with whatever else they eat. I have clients that aren't plant-based. But I'm like, if you're going to have chicken and rice, make sure the rice is brown rice because that's less processed. See, there's where the approaching the natural white rice to brown rice is a very good step in the meat realm. You know, factory farm chicken and free range chicken is a really good step. But in my own practice, I don't even really talk about vegan and vegetarian so much as I talk about the nutrient density of food. In my book, I talk about Heavy box versus light box food. Do you, do you want me to dive in real quick to like nutrition 101 real quick? Is that? Absolutely. Get into okay. it. Okay. So real quick. So I have one chapter in my book that is on nutrition. The reason why is because it is, in my opinion, is going to sound arrogant. It's not. It's not that complicated and it doesn't need to, you don't need to overcomplicate. It is a spectrum where you've got the least healthy food on one side and the most healthy food on the other. So the question is, well, what is most healthy and least healthy? In nature, that, well, I'll put it this way. All food is made up of macronutrients and micronutrients. Macronutrients, protein, fat, carbohydrate, and micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, and antioxidants. The way that I describe it to people is macronutrients are like the gas we put in a car, protein, fat, and carbohydrates. The gas, it's what our bodies run on. It's the gas. 
the micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants, are like the oil that we put in a car. What does oil do? It makes the engine run well. It makes the engine lubricated and, and the machine run well so that it can what? Process, burn the gas to move. It's the exact same in our bodies. We need food that has gas and oil in it. And I don't mean olive oil. I mean the, the analogy of oil. Things that help our machine run well so that we can process the gas with minimal stress on our bodies. If you put gas only in a Ferrari, a beautifully designed car, but you only put gas and no oil in there, that Ferrari is going to break down, period. It might last a little longer than the, you know, than the crappy Chevy. Or, or Matt's car, but it, but it's good, but it's gonna break down because it doesn't have the tools it needs to run to make the machine run well. So in the in the nutritional realm, it's the same exact thing, and this is why you know vegan becomes a lot less relevant in terms of nutrition because you know we've talked about this, Matt, where you know white sugar, white flour, potato chips, French fries. Those are vegan. They are what I call light box foods. So what I'm gonna real quick to so your listeners kind of know where I'm coming from. I ask people to imagine a gift box, and on the outside of the box is the wrapping paper. I want people to think of the wrapping paper as the macronutrients. It's the calories in food. So the wrapping paper on the outside of the box is the calories, some wrapping paper from protein, some from fat, some from carbohydrate. On the inside of the box are the, are the micronutrients, vitamins, mineral, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants, and, and really fiber too. The question of how 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 nutrient dense a food is, is how heavy that box is. How much micronutrients come packaged in the, in the package of calories? So when you look at the spectrum of food, things like white flour are very light box. In fact, white sugar is an empty box. It, it's only calories, it's only carbohydrate, and there's nothing inside that box. Why? Because we made it. And this is an important thing in my book, and my approach when I talk about the natural, we would have no conflict in nature with food that we would find to eat. There is no Big Mac tree. There is no Numino tree. There's no French fry plant. We would find food in nature and we would eat it. When we found food, we would take advantage of that. If we did not have access to whole plants, we would find an animal. The, the animal that we would find in nature would be eating whole plants. They wouldn't be eating junked up food that we're feeding our animals now. So no matter what we would find, it would be the best calorie source we could find in that moment. And there would be no conflict there. So in transitioning to, to healthier food, it is literally just what is the proportion of heavy box to light box food that you're eating? What is the, is the food that you're eating? How processed is it? How changed is it? How much, how close is it to its original form? And, and that's going to determine. So as a, you, the original thing was, what is our natural diet? Well, our natural diet is whole plants in the least, basically whole plants. I mean, it's it's going, you know, it's, it's funny because people go, boy, it just takes a lot of time to uh, to eat healthy. Well, it takes time if you're cooking and morphing and changing and dehydrating and creating and spicing. But it takes no time to walk into a produce section and grab a crap load of vegetables and fruit and eat them. That takes no time at all. I mean, that takes no time at all. So the so we need to be clear on kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, the whole concept of food as entertainment has has only become a big thing in the past few hundred years. I mean, that's that that's not something that that uh, is really natural. So 
it's it's the entertainment value of food that takes time. And I don't I don't mean like crazy fancy preparations, but eating food that is fun to eat because it's so deliciously good, um, that takes time to prepare often. And there are of course you can find simple recipes, but the way I've gone, and it sounds like obviously the way you have gone too, uh, is towards a much much simpler diet. And I spend way less time cooking now than I ever did when I ate meat, and then I did when I first went vegetarian, and then I even when I did when I first went vegan. I've just moved along this this spectrum that you talk about towards a simpler thing. So I mean, my my snacks throughout the day now are are raw trail mix or just raw nuts if that's all I have, raw fruits, salads sometimes. Carrots dipped in hummus. I mean, it's stuff that that is. I mean, I get in the hummus when we make it ourselves. That takes five minutes to actually do that, but that's simple stuff. I mean, that's that's convenience food that is also natural and and isn't hard to make at all. Well, and here's the thing I'll say about that: is first of all, you're totally right, and second of all, the the, the reason why transitioning to people is such a key part of this conversation that we're having is because. Many of your listeners might right now might hear that and go, that kind of sounds miserable, but I guess I should do that. And for me, I would tell those people, don't do that yet. Yeah. For me, because there's a bigger picture than just the food. And I have seen people who eat incredibly well who are very unhealthy because their relationship to food is unnatural because they're stressed by the food they eat. And the stress on your self, and it could be from food. Can actually you don't, you don't mean stressed because the food is is doing something to their body. You mean they're stressed about the way that they're eating. They're not yes, they're the way they're eating. That's right. They're miserable because because there's because we live in the modern world. So like you talked about food for entertainment. Well, I don't think that anybody should strip their lives of that pleasure. Sure. The, the you know I the reason why I'm not a hundred percent raw you know fruit and leafy greens. Even though I think that I would be, you know, I'm eating a ton more fruit. I'll tell you that much. Um, but you know, like last night, we every Saturday, my family and I've got a nine-year-old and I've got five-year-old twins. I work full time. My wife works full time. We are as busy as anybody, and we're still eating incredibly healthy. We're eating 99% heavy box foods. But the fact of the matter is, I don't want to give that up. That's fun for me. Now, a guy like Michael Arnstein. You know, he's got other things in his life. I'm assuming still, I don't know if he's still doing races, but at the time that he was doing 100 mile races, that's his thing. So he may go even closer to the fruit, leafy green, because he wants to maintain that for the purposes of his running. Well, for me in my life right now, I love having family night. On Saturday night, we have a special meal. I work at, at the at the wellness center that has a restaurant. And, and a couple times, you know, during the week, they have staff meal and I sit down with people and eat. So, the question is what I do most of the time, and, and I want to make this point very clear to your to your listeners because people get really stressed out. They hear these conversations, and they go, okay, well, I guess I should be doing that. And sometimes they'll go like, okay, I'm going to start doing that tomorrow. And it creates a whole bunch of stress for them, and that stress is debilitating to your body. Stress of any kind is debilitating to the human body and mind. So food, and if you don't ease your way in and find a balance that works for you, you can actually undo the benefits of good food by creating this life for you that's miserable. People, I got to give up this stuff. I got to deal with family stuff. They're just not taking the time. Um, I work. I tell people that your level of health is determined by one thing and one thing only: what you do most of the time. That's it. What you do most of the time. Right now. Everybody listening to this, your body right now is, an, is a result of what you are doing most of the time. This is why 
the 10 day cleanse thing, I tell people your health is going to be determined by what you do before the cleanse and what you do after the cleanse, not because of the 10 days of anything. And so it's what you do most of the time when you can make that a level, you know, do affect your most of the time so that you get to a health and a level of health and happiness that you, that works for you, then, then you're there. And if you don't, you can adjust it, but you don't have to necessarily go a hundred percent of the time, unless you're a guy like Rich Roll or, you know, Scott Jurek, who's doing, you know, busting out seven minute miles for a hundred miles. Well, they're going to, they're most of the time is going to be at a totally different level than, than somebody who's just wants to kind of generally feel good. All right, so that clip was part of what ended up being two sessions we did with Sid in this first month, uh, totaling close to three hours, which might sound sort of (laughs) overwhelming, but I promise it doesn't feel that long. I think the first one is almost two hours, but that one just flew by. Right. Uh, We were trying to address a bunch of, I think we did this survey in the early days, wondering what were people's biggest frustrations, and Sid and I were hoping to hit on all 20 of these or so. Uh, We didn't get nearly there in the first one, but, but over the course of two, we did start to, we covered almost all of them. Uh, but it really does go by quick, and there's there's a ton of great information. That's one of my favorites. Uh, just some really neat stuff about about you know why we eat the way we do, how are we really meant to eat if there is such a thing, and then how can you make it work practically in the real world. So I uh, hope you enjoyed these. We've got another episode coming in similar to this. We're going to play a few of our favorites again uh, on different topics. But these two are really about motivation. There wasn't a ton in the segments that we played um, of immediately applicable how-to information, and that was on purpose. We wanted this to be the motivation, uh, just to get you thinking about about like I don't know what might be the ideal version of yourself when it comes to food. And for some people, it might not be fruitarian. Although I swear, when I listen to that that episode, I feel like that <laughs> is my. Um, but but this was the motivation. What we've got coming in the next one is going to be a little bit more practical. Uh, we're going to be talking about time and how do you free up some time because that that's an issue when you talk about health and healthy eating. And what goes into those things and making it a priority in your life, one of the big objections that happens is people say, but how do you possibly have time for that? So the first one that we're going to do next time is about freeing up that time. And then the second one is going to be more practical, directly focused on food and how can you uh, just streamline the meal planning process as well as uh, what goes into preparing your food. That's right. It should be another fascinating episode and and i'm excited to we'll be sharing it in just a couple days so it's guaranteed to be another fascinating episode not just should there you go they're all fascinating (laughs) okay so if you want again to get more info about the academy as we uh move along in the process of getting it relaunched and more easily accessible you can get all that at nomeatathlete.com slash info just enter your email there and uh, we'll keep you updated all right that's it for today thank you for listening that's right thank you very much 